0: Good evening to each one. I greet you in our Savior's precious name this evening. It's a privilege to be here this evening. I did a little reminiscing before I came. Last time I preached, there was one person here, Brother Darrell. Sitting back on a chair, I preached in an empty church beside him. It's much more fun to have a group to preach to than just one person. Before I get into the message seating, I need to give a little bit of my testimony. I'm amazed as I look back at my life, some of the blind spots I've had in the past. And one of the blind spots was this subject this evening. I had goals and ambitions for life that really wasn't what God wanted. God brought a, a brother in my life that taught some things that started to speak to me. As I listened to his sermons, there were several times I thought, I've never heard that before. And I'd went to church all my life. I'd read the Bible all my life. So as I went and studied scripture, he was right. What he was teaching was correct. So I had to make a decision. Am I going to continue to live my life the way I was? Or am I going to look at scripture and pattern my life after scripture? And I very much wanted to serve the Lord faithfully and I had to repent of some things in my life that needed to change. More specifically, I had a goal of getting to retirement and having enough money that I could live the way I wanted to live. I could enjoy life, work when I wanted to. Uh, Quite honestly, I was pursuing the American dream. God convicted me that I was no different than the rich fool who said, I'm gonna build bigger barns, store up all this stuff that I've acquired, and eat, drink, and be merry. That's really what the American dream is. If you stop and think about it, and that's where I was. You know, God told that rich fool, he said, you're a fool. Tonight, your soul's gonna be required of you. And I came to the place that I never wanted to hear those words from God to me. And so I had to change some of my life. This sermon is an outworking of some of that. The title is The Sin of Selfish Living. I think it's imperative we, from the start, look at Scripture to see is selfish living really sin. Because if it's not, then we can continue to live selfishly. If it's actually a sin, we need to repent if that's the way we're living our life. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians 5. First of all, there's four scriptures I want to look at as it relates to this question, is selfish living sinful? I want to read here in Galatians 5 from the New King James Version. I want to start at verse 19. I want you to notice, though, before I start reading. The very first part of this verse, 19, says, Now the works of the flesh are evident which are. The things that we look at next are works of the flesh. Look at the last phrase in verse 21. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're looking at a list of sins that are sin, that keep us from heaven. Now let's read verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, there it is, staring me in the face in verse 20, selfish ambitions. Goals of life that are selfish keep me from heaven. Go in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Again, I want to read this passage from the New King James Version. Romans chapter 2. I want to start reading at verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. I want to start, stop there at verse 6 and make a couple of comments. Somehow we struggle with this issue of faith and works. There is no way I can do enough works to earn my salvation. It's absolutely no way. God in his love for mankind sent his son Jesus Christ to, to come to this earth and die. And I have, to, I have to confess my sins, surrender my life to Him, and I can be saved. But throughout Scripture, and this, passage, this verse in verse 6 is another example, throughout Scripture we are told we're going to be judged by the deeds of our life. That's our works. It is, it, we have to understand that if we are saved, there's a change within us that changes everything in our life. And from then on, we live a godly life. And somehow we just cannot grasp this concept of faith and works, but it's imperative we do. Verse 6 makes it clear. When we stand before the judgment of God, He renders to each one according to his deeds. Now let's read further. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking or selfish, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. God's wrath is coming on those who are living selfishly. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. i want to read verses 4 and 5. Again, I want to read these from the New King James Version. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Now you see in verse 4 and in verse 5, you see the true love is unselfish. It doesn't try to Bring glory to itself, and it's not self-seeking. True love's not selfish. Now, you all are Bible students. You know that Jesus said the greatest commandment was love God with all your heart and soul. And the second commandment's likened to it, that we love our fellow man. So if we love our fellow man, we cannot be selfish. We're going to be seeking their good, not our good. And that's probably why in Luke 9, for the fourth passage, if you want to turn there, Jesus said some words that are very profound as it relates to us as Christian people. Luke 9, starting in verse 23, he said this. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world is himself destroyed or lost? Jesus makes it clear. The Christian life is everything about us dying to our old, sinful, selfish nature and living for him. He says clearly, what does it gain you in this world if you gain everything? If you have more than anybody else, you have everything your heart can desire, and you go to eternity without Him, it's going to be a miserable existence for all eternity. So are we willing to die to self on this earth to gain eternal life that God has for us? It's, It's part of the equation of the Christian life that we can't get away from. God's call for us is to live selflessly not selfishly now what does selfishness look like in our lives today and there was numbers of different ways i could have went with this but i went i I want to go down the path where god spoke to me and that is in our our finances our stuff and how we're living our life i'm gonna look at two bible stories that jesus uh, taught the first one's in luke 10 i invite you to turn there This is the story of, or the parable, of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, I want to start reading in verse 25 and read this story. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How how readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, <clears throat> with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, he's, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds. Pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. Now, the context of where, why Jesus gave this parable was this question, Who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Jesus, Jesus made it clear to him, the, the crux of the law was loving God and loving your neighbor. That was the whole crux of the law. But, but who's my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. Who's my neighbor? Who is it that I need to be looking out for? And Jesus gave this parable. I want to ask you a question. What was the sin of the priests and Levite? Or maybe you never thought about it as being a sin. Jesus didn't commend them. He commended the Samaritan. So I have to conclude they had not done right. What was their sin? See, their sin was in their business of life. They were unwilling to stop and see the needs around them and take care of those needs. The question was, who's my neighbor? Who who am I responsible to? There was a seminary that assigned three students a job of preaching a sermon on the Good Samaritan. They gave each of them this this sermon to preach before their fellow students. Their fellow students were going to critique their sermons because they were learning about how to preach a sermon. They gave each of these students this sermon on a different day. What the school had arranged was from where the the student lived to get to seminary, they had somebody there along the road that had a need. All three of them met somebody the day they had to preach that sermon with someone having a need, and all three of them failed because they had something they had to do. They had to preach a sermon on the Good Samaritan. See, somehow that didn't didn't touch their hearts. As I considered that story, I had to remember the day that I had to preach a funeral sermon, and Phyllis and I were heading up 81, and there was somebody along the side of the road, obviously distressed, they had a problem, and you could tell the driver was distressed about it, of course, I got to get to preach the sermon, you know, and I kept going, and after a while, Phyllis said, you aren't going to stop and help, and I said, I'll be late to church if we do, you know, somehow this thing's made of wood sometimes, You you see, that's selfish living. My schedule, my goals, my ambitions are more important than the needs that are around me. And that was the sin of of the priest and the Levite. Let's look at Luke 16. Luke 16, I want to start reading verse 19. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rose from the dead. I ask the question again, what was the sin of the rich man? What was his sin? Seriously, brothers and sisters, have you considered it? All indications was that he was an upstanding Jewish man. I don't see any indication that says he wasn't. But somehow he found himself in hell. And I believe in hell he understood what mistake he had made. He cried out to Abraham... And Abraham said, do you remember? See, Lazarus was laid at his gate. Comes back to the question again, who's my neighbor? Lazarus was laid at his gate. This rich man knew of this need. But there's no indication that he did anything to meet the need. The only thing we see is the dogs licked his sores. That was the only comfort, if you call that comfort, that Lazarus got. When he was in hell... And asked Father Abraham to send Lazarus. Abraham said, Son, remember, you had your good things. I think it spoke clearly to this rich man that he was unwilling to reach out to those around him. He fared sumptuously every day. He never went hungry. He had all the things he could desire. And yet he was unwilling to give of what he had to meet the need of this need that he had, very very much of a need that he could have met. Turn to 1 John 3. 1 John 3, I want us to look at at what Scripture calls us to as God's people. 1 John 3, verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is how we understand what the love of God is. Because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He's saying, don't just talk about love show that you understand what love is we understand what god's love is because jesus sacrificed everything from heaven and came to earth because we had a need as as christian as people not christian people as people wicked people rebels that's that's how we understand what love is and yet he's saying if if we have this world's good if we are the rich man and lazarus is laid at our gate are we willing to reach out and meet that need are we so consumed with our desires and our wishes that we can't meet, meet those needs? And I say, if, if that's where we are, that we're living selfishly, then we're going to hear the word, son, remember. And, and those words aren't going to be pleasant. Jesus made it clear. Rich people are going to find it very difficult to get to heaven. And I wonder if this is why, or maybe part of the reason why. Because we, we live... We, we make our standard living so high that we don't have to give to others. Let me tell you what happens as we acquire more money. In the 1940s, the average size house in America was 750 square feet. And the average family size was 3.76. And I couldn't hardly fathom that, 750 square feet. I mean, that's, that's, that is a small house. But these are people who came out of the Depression. They were just thankful for a roof over their head. Till 1970, houses had grown to 1,100 squ- uh, square feet. When we go through Bridgewater to go to the bank church, there's a detour and it takes us through the subdivision there in Bridgewater. And I've started watching since i would prepared this sermon, every house in there is about that size. Just a little small ranch house, the whole subdivision. Because in the 1970s, that was big enough. Today, the average size is 2,438 square feet, and the family size has dropped to 3.14. That's what happens. I had to consider myself. I live in a 2,500 square foot home, and so my immediate thought was, yeah, but we had five children, so there were seven of us living in that house. You do the numbers. In 1940 standard, I'd have a 1,300 square foot house. Do you see what happens to us? You see, we build our houses bigger. We buy fancier cars. We buy boats, jet skis, four-wheelers, campers. You just, you know, houses at the lake and cabins in the woods and the whole nine yards. And then there's needs around us, and we don't have any money to give. Do you see what happens to us? Is God looking at our lives and saying, there's all these needs in the world. Lazarus is laid as your gate and you're living selfishly. I'm challenged by the life of John Wesley. John Wesley was a man who lived a frugal life and gave basically all he had to meet the needs around him. He was involved in a number of business ventures and his yearly income in today's standards was $160,000 a year, He he was doing very well. He made a decision to live on $20,000 a year. And he gave $140,000 away. In his lifetime around London, there was a tremendous amount of poverty. And he just continued to give to meet those needs around him. He recorded an instance in his journal that just challenged me. And I want to tell you this, the story. One day, a lady came into his office to do some business. It was a cold winter day. She had a, a coat that was threadbare. It was just Wore out completely. He noticed her coat and his heart went out to her and he reached into his wallet to pull out money to give her to buy a new coat. And when he did, his wallet was empty. He had just gotten done buying new curtains for his office. And he recorded in his journal how terrible he felt that those curtains were the blood of that lady because he couldn't buy her a new coat. And I heard about that story and it, it just convicted me. That's not how I lived my life. It honestly is not. But that is the mind of Christ. You see, 1 Corinthians 2, or 2 Corinthians 8, excuse me, verse 8 and 9 says, chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. See, that's what Christ did. He gave us all. He was willing to leave the glories of heaven to come to this sin-cursed earth because I had a need and you had a need. He was willing to give us all. The context of this verse is giving. You see, we get hung up on whether we ought to give 10% or not. And the context of this is Jesus gave it all. And, And Paul is challenging these people to look at the Macedonian church and what they gave. He said they gave above what they could afford because they saw a need. That's the context of that verse. That's the mind of Christ. That's the heart of Christ. To see the needs around us and be willing to drop our standard of living to meet those needs. I don't know how many of you all get Cam's newsletters, but this um, fall and winter, they were sending newsletters out every month. They generally send them out quarterly, but they start sending them out every month because of the tremendous needs in our world due to this COVID pandemic. And there were two things that really touched my heart. The one is there's poor people all over our world that are starving because they live hand to mouth every day. They work today, so they can eat today. And when a country shuts down operations for a week or two, they go hungry and they get that far behind, they can't catch up. And there's people starving all over our world while we fare sumptuously every day, are we willing to give to meet those needs? Another that really touched my heart is, because of this pandemic, there's, there's people that are getting so far behind, they, can't, they cannot bring together enough money to keep warm in the winter. And winter was coming when, when they sent these letters out. And they were appealing to people to send money. I think it was $19 bought a blanket that would help people not freeze to death. You know, I'm not cold in the winter. I mean, if I am, I'd turn the fireplace up a little bit or something. There's people freezing to death. Does it move our hearts at all? Are we willing to give unselfishly to meet some of those needs? And if we're not, I ask the question, will God say, Lazarus was laid at your gate, and you weren't willing to help him? That's a question I have to honestly ask myself. One last passage. Turn to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, excuse me, Jesus gives three stories. Two of them are parables. I'm not sure if the one's a parable, if it's actually him trying to describe what's going to happen at the end time. But I don't think these things are disjointed. I think Jesus was was teaching a central theme, and he wants us to get the message. The first parable, the first part of chapter 25, is the parable of the ten virgins. Five are wise... They had oil in their lamps. They were ready for the Lord to come. Five were foolish. They didn't. Notice verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The Lord is coming again. The call is that we're ready. Now, the next parable, falling on the heels of that, is the parable of the talents. I want you to notice verse 14. The Lord delivered unto them His goods. Underline that in your Bible. Highlight it or something. What we have is because God has given it to us. It's His. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, there's been so many times in my life that I've, I've looked and, and looked with pleasure, you know, this is what I've accomplished. I'm going to tell you something. I had a back problem that I couldn't get out of bed. People carried me to the bathroom. If that's where you are, you're not going to gain much. Your abilities are because God has given you abilities. It's time we understand that. This is his goods. So the object of the parable is these men had to answer to God for what they did with what he entrusted to them, whether it's abilities or money, either one. And so the one was thrown into darkness. You find that in verse 30. Now let's look at the last one, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the King say to them on His right hand, "Come." Ye blessed of me, excuse me. excuse Ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered? And fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink, when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee, or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you. Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer, answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Clearly, in this passage, Jesus is saying, if we are unwilling to meet the needs of those around us, we're being unwilling to meet the needs that that Christ has for himself. And I I find that very striking. Isn't it interesting, in this passage, he didn't mention anything about what we wear. He didn't mention anything about the fact that he shed his blood on Calvary for mankind. He didn't say anything about the importance of our doctrinal positions as a church. He didn't say anything about worldliness. All those things are important. We find that in Scripture. But clearly, when the love of God changes our hearts the way God wants it to change it, we're going to have compassion for those around us. And it's interesting, the, the sheep did not realize they had done these things. See, their hearts had been changed by the love of God in such a way that when they saw that need... Their heart was rent with compassion for that person, just as Jesus' heart was rent for us because of our need. And that really strikes me. That really is sobering to me about how important it is for me to see the needs of those around me. In closing, I'm going to give you a story from history. In World War II, the Germans had a rule at their prisoner of war camp That if anyone escaped the camp, 10 men would be put in a starvation chamber and they would die because someone escaped. It was a deterrent so that men were afraid to leave because they knew that 10 men would die because of them. One morning at this particular camp during roll call, the unthinkable happened. There was a man missing. They did a thorough search of the camp and it was obvious he was gone. So the horrible lottery started where they chose 10 men. One of the men chosen was a man who had a wife and several small children at home. There was another man in this camp who was single, and he couldn't stand to think of the grief that lady and those children would go through when their husband and father was killed. So he volunteered to take his place, and his wish was granted. Ten men went into the starvation chamber. They died a horrible death. Any other time this had happened, there was cursing and swearing coming out of that chamber. This time there were singing because of one man who was willing to sacrifice for someone else. Brothers and sisters, we're not asked to give our lives in starvation. All God asks is that we don't live selfishly. Will you and I be willing to volunteer to live a simple life so that others can simply live? May the Lord bless you.